excited for this morning. It just so happens that our text in Ephesians falls on a good place for Easter, for the resurrection morning. Um, so please turn there, Ephesians chapter 1. And we're going to continue our tour of heaven. So last week we made, we, we paused, because Paul paused. He paused to pray. And he paused to pray that God would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and the things that he's describing. Uh, we've seen so far on our tour, we've seen that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. We've seen that God chose us from before the foundation of the world. We've seen that we've been adopted as God's children, that in heaven, from heaven's perspective, we're not just creatures like trees, we're actually children of God. Uh, we see that the end of all things is the praise of God's glory. So we see the purpose of what God is doing. God's revealed to us his will. He's gathering a family. He's gathering a people. And they are to be to the praise of his glory, a people who trust in him. We see we have an inheritance there. We see that there's a, a future and a hope for us in the future. Even though right now we struggle, Paul says that the present sufferings are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us. We're seeing there's an inheritance, there's a future. We see that God's sovereign, verse 11, he works all things after the counsel of his own will. And uh, in verse 7, we see the riches of his grace. So we're dealing, what we, we might have thought grace was a stingy thing from earth's perspective as we're thinking about grace, but when we see from heaven's perspective, grace is not a stingy thing. It's just completely abundant and lavish and there's limitless wealth there it's unsearchable i mean we need to put our minds on things above don't we of uh, these things these truths these realities just because they're invisible doesn't mean they're not true we do we live like that or is just what we see true um and so paul prays that we would see but now we're going to continue the tour of heaven. And we're going to see Jesus. That's exciting. We're going to see Jesus in heaven now. So Paul's like, okay, I've showed you some of these things. Now I want to show you something wonderful. Let's, let me show you Jesus in heaven right now. Jesus. So we'll read together. And actually, we'll start in verse 19 again. We'll read 19 again. And we'll read to 23, the end of the chapter. We're going to see Jesus. So pay attention as we read. Paul's praying, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, and has put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. 
Lord, I pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you and the acknowledging of you as we look into this passage and as we look at you in heaven. Help us to set our minds on things above. In Jesus' name, amen. When uh, power, Paul interrupts his prayer, or he kind of cuts his prayer short, and then he goes back to, to preaching, but it's flowing out of his prayer. If you remember, there was three things he wanted us to really see when he prayed for God to give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. God, he wants us to see the hope that we have in the calling of God. He wants us to see the glory of the inheritance. And he wants us to see the exceeding greatness of the power of God that works toward us. And it's on that last point that Paul dwells in this next chapter, actually, in this next section and all into chapter 2. He stops and he wants to dwell upon the power, the exceeding greatness or the surpassing greatness of God's power. And where do we, what, what do we immediately see? So say, I want, God, let them see the power that works toward them. And then he starts preaching about it. And what do we, where does he take us? He takes us to the risen Lord, Jesus. What do you immediately, where do you immediately go when you think of God being powerful? Do you immediately go to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the power that works towards you? This is where Paul goes here. He wants us to see this. And uh, I was thinking about power and how we actually, Paul wants us to see the power of God because we often don't appreciate the power of God that works toward us. We might acknowledge it, but... It's another thing to know it exists, but to appreciate that and to understand that. And I, was, I remember the first time, here's just a little story I think I shared with the young people once at the Friday study, but I remember the first time I learned to appreciate four-wheel drive. I don't know if you remember, Alan, but I, uh, I had actually had never driven a four-wheel drive vehicle, vehicle before, except recently, like last year or two years ago, I can't remember. And I had Alan's truck, and I, it was during the winter, and I was at the atheist study, I think. And I parked on the hill, the old main hill, and there was ice. And so when I got in to go, I could not go. It was spinning the tires because the, of the ice. And I didn't know what to do at all. I didn't think anything about four-wheel drive because I'd never driven that before. And so stupid me, I'm like, well, maybe I'll put it in neutral and try to like push the car. <laughs> Well, that doesn't work because, first of all, it's downhill and it's ice. So I put it in neutral and I started sliding backwards. And I noticed there's a car right behind me, too. <laughs> so I slammed the brakes on real quick. Put that thing. Alan's like, oh. <laughs> and uh, I stopped it before it hit anything. And then I re realized that was stupid. And then I went inside. I actually went inside and called Alan. I said, Alan, I'm stuck on the hill. I don't know what to do. And he advised, you know. And he's like, yeah, just put it in four-wheel drive. <laughs> so it didn't even, I didn't even know that about that feature, really how it worked and if it would have helped. But, so I did. I went back and put it in four-wheel drive, and that thing just drove like it was on dry ground. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. <laughs> four-wheel drive. I like it. <laughs> so that was the first time I ever I appreciated the power of four-wheel drive. I knew it existed, but I didn't really know you know, what it was all about. Or, you know, we've all experienced power out outages, right? 
where prolonged power outages, not ones that mess up your clock for a minute, but ones that last for maybe a few hours. And you realize during that time how much you really appreciate electric power, right? It's like, man. But when there's no power outage, you, don't, you just totally take it for granted. Like, you just enjoy all its benefits and you don't even really give it a thought. Until it's gone, you're like, oh, Lord, please bring the power back, you know? I want to cook something or play something or read something. Um, so it's like that. We don't really appreciate the power until we need it, until we realize what things are like without it. You don't really appreciate the power of God in the same way. Now, when you don't think you need it, you know, you don't think about it. If you're always enjoying it, you might forget what it's like without the power of God, right? So Paul wants us to know the power of God that works toward us, like the electric lights. He wants us to appreciate it for a minute. There's a power. Actually, it's not just a power. It's the surpassing greatness of God's power, the might of his power. Paul is taken up with power. He loved it. Um, you know, some guys are really into powerful vehicles. Paul was like that, but in the sense of the gospel, you know. Some guys just rave about how fast a, a bike can go. Paul was just raving about the gospel. Remember in Romans 1.16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. He was excited about it. He was not ashamed of it. Or in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, he talks about the power of Christ. The cross is foolishness to the world, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? And the wisdom of God. But he's taken up with this idea of the power of God. And then this amazing uh, verse in Philippians chapter 3, Paul reveals his heart. And he says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, right? I want to know the power of his resurrection. And you could say, well, don't you know it, Paul? And he's like, well, yeah, but I want to press on. I want to go on. He just said he wants to be found in Christ, not having his own righteousness. But I think, Brad, you just said, let's not just be content with that forgiveness, but let's press on. Let's press on to understand the power of God and his resurrection toward us. This is what Paul wants us to see here. To press on and know the power of his resurrection. And this is what he's going to talk about now. He's going to open up the power of the resurrection. It's awesome. And so when Paul says know it, he doesn't just mean the facts, because this morning, hopefully, you'll walk out of here with some more information. But your desire should be, with that information, I want to press on and know it in, in its truth. I want to understand it. I want to pray for wisdom and revelation. I want to get it. I want to appreciate it and live in it. That's what Paul means when he says, I want to know it. Not just, I want to know about it. What book can I read? Of course, that's important. But he wants to go on and know this power. So, first thing to notice is, and to clear up a little confusion about this passage, why does Paul turn to this? The, uh, he says, I want you to know, I'm praying for you that you may know the exceeding greatness of his power according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, 
why does he go there, or why does he not go there? Now, a lot of people think that the reason Paul goes there is because he's giving an example. He's saying, I want you to know how powerful the power that, that works towards you and how powerful it is. It's like the resurrection. Like, we're going we're gonna to look at the resurrection because God raised someone from the dead. That's powerful, isn't it? That's super powerful. And, like, the power of God that works towards you is like that. It's powerful. So if God is so powerful to do that, he can do anything. And that's a true, that's a, definitely a true thought. There's nothing wrong with that. If God raised someone from the dead, he can, he's got so much power. That's just not Paul's point here. He's not turning to the resurrection to say, I got, here's an example of how strong God is, and that same strength works towards you. Because the resurrection doesn't, isn't the only thing that proves that. You can just think about God creating the whole heavens and the earth, which we are encouraged to do in the Bible. In the Old Testament, God would say, don't you consider the heavens and the earth? Can't I do anything? Can't I preserve you? Can't I keep you? I mean, that's not Paul's point here. He's not just showing an example like creation, saying, look how powerful God is. That's, that same strong God is, is working towards you. Isn't that encouraging? True thought, not his point. The thing to notice here is that the resurrection power or the, the power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead is not just an example. The power that works towards us is not like this. It's according to this. Do you see that in verse uh, 19? So the power that works towards Peter is not like the power that rose Jesus from the dead. It's according to the power that rose Jesus from the dead. Some of your Bibles may have a comma at the end of verse 19. I think the New King James took that comma out. But let me read it without the comma. I want you, I'm praying for you that you would know the surpassing greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Okay? It's not just according to his mighty power and that same power he raised. It's according to the power which he wrought in Christ when he rose him from the dead. So what Paul is saying is that it's not just like the resurrection, it's because of the resurrection and it's out of the resurrection that this power is coming to you. It's according to the resurrection of Christ. When he wrought Jesus from the dead, there's a power that's coming out of that towards you. It's according to that, according to the resurrection of the dead. So the resurrection is, of the dead is not an example. It's the prima facto of the power of God or the prime deed or the prime factor of what he's talking about here. Not just an example, but it's contained in that. He's pointing our attention now. I want to show you the power. Look at Jesus. It's coming out of, that. It's coming out of him right there. Now, there's something incredible here. And I think we often miss this. I don't know about you guys, but how many of you have often read these verses about principalities and powers and it's just, you know? Principalities and powers and dominion and might. and It's like, okay, I believe it. I don't know what it is, but, you know? There's three things to notice here about this. So we know, okay, Paul, we see what you're getting at. What does he say about this? So in verse 20, 21, and 22... There's three things that we need to notice in the text. 
The first is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The second thing is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. It's a different thing than his resurrection, but they're related. The exaltation. And the third thing, I just happened to make a shun word, it's the vocation of Jesus and what he does in heaven. So his resurrection, notice, his exaltation, and his vocation. Just so happens that's an acronym for REV, power. <laughs> that was just coincidence. <laughs> that was purely coincidence. That wasn't me being cheesy. <laughs> but uh, the resurrection, number one. So what is this power, Paul, that's working according to the resurrection? Okay, first, notice the resurrection. So it's Easter, and on Easter we celebrate the resurrection. And all across the world, people are talking about the resurrection today. And the message of Easter, which we hear all across the world in every church, is, is like this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for our sins. You and I are sinners. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And that resurrection is a validation of his death. It proves that what happened at the cross succeeded, that sin was put away. He was resurrected. Praise God. The resurrection is proof of the cross. This is, what, this is the Easter message. Jesus is alive. And his death saves. That's, that's an awesome message. But it's lacking something. Not that it's deficient. It's not like that can't do, the, do the, the work that God wants us to do. But it's lacking something. It, it fails to connect the resurrection with his exaltation. Notice Paul says that when Christ was risen from the dead, he was set at the Father's right hand. And verse 21 goes on about the exaltation. It is far above principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this world, but in the age that is to come. And he's put everything under his feet. I want you to see Paul's emphasizing the exaltation in this passage, isn't he? There's three verses that talk about his exaltation. The emphasis is definitely the exaltation here. The resurrection, he was raised from the dead and exalted. Now, most commentaries I read on this brush right by the exaltation part. Even the good commentaries. Uh, it seems that we, we don't quite grasp the connection between the resurrection and the exaltation. What is this all about? What's going on? Our emphasis is usually on the resurrection. And that's good. But it, it led to his exaltation. And the commentaries just bl blow through this. They state it in so many words. He's above all things. He's over all things. And then he goes on to the next point. What does that mean? He's over all things. Everything's under his feet. Far above principalities and powers. What, what's the point there? And I think we failed to see the point. 
And this is the point Paul wants us to see. Because this is where the power is. This is where the power is. Now just connect some of the dots here with me. I want you to notice some things here. I want you to notice in verse 20 where it says, He raised him from the dead. He set him at his own right hand. I want you to notice the localities here, where Jesus is. Okay. He raised him from the dead. Where was he? He was dead, right? He was in the grave. He set him at his own right hand. Where's that? It's in heaven. It's at the right hand of the Father. Notice verse 21, this extremely important, important phrase. Far above. Far above. Okay, that's super important. Highlight that. That's really important. We just breeze by that. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world or in this age, but that's which is to come, and has put all things under his feet. And he's made him to be head over the church. Do you, I think we've got to slow down and see these localities. He raised him from the dead and set him far above. That far above is very important. Now, before we flesh this skeleton out, uh, let's look at the principalities and powers. What is a principality? It's like one of those words where just, it's a biblical word. Or, I mean, it seems like it's a biblical word to us because we don't see this word often in other literature. It's not just a biblical word, but principality. Absolutely it is. Prince, a palady. It comes from the word prince. So when you think of prince, a principality is the prince's territory or the prince's domain. So you got it exactly, Terry. There's a domain that a prince rules. That's his principality. It says here Jesus was exalted far above all principality. And power, that word power is authority in the Greek, not dunamis, not muscle, but authority. So he's above all principality, he's above all authority, he's above all might, that's power. He's above all dominion, another important word, very similar. And above all name, the, the idea of the name is the authority of the name, the invoking of the name. Now, are you, are you seeing some connection here? Are you seeing this, uh, a theme? There's, this is all about authority, dominion, and principalities. Now, the, the idea of Jesus being set at the right hand of God is also speaking of the throne. It's, thinking, it's speaking of God's authority and principality and domain and might. And he's put everything under his feet. Now, granted, these things are obscure because the Bible hasn't unloaded all this, the information about this. But it has unloaded enough to know that in the heavenlies, 
there is principalities and dominions and mights and might and names. And it's a theme all throughout Scripture. This isn't just New Testament. And at the time of Paul, as a matter of fact, the, the Jewish scholars had thoroughly drawn out the Old Testament theology of uh, the angelic world because there's enough in the Old Testament about it to draw out something. And what they understood is that there are these angelic principalities and domains and names and authorities. Probably God gives them to the angels to take care of. But then you, we understand that there was also a rebellion, right? We don't know much about this. We just know we're told of these things. We know there's a prince in Persia, not the king of Persia. There's a prince who has a principality and he wrestles with Michael, right? We don't know much about that. I don't know much about that. I just know it, something's up there. There's a prince. Something else we see in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, but starting at verse 1. Look, you has he quickened who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Hmm. Interesting. According to the prince of the power of the air, you were under his control and domain. Why? Because of your sin. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about redemption. Remember we talked about bondage. And how the law brings us, because we're under the law, we're under subjection to the law, the moment we break that, we're now under the bondage of sin. And the law is provoking sin. We can't escape that. But when we sin, we become under the bondage of death, right? And because we're under the bondage of death, we're under the bondage of Satan who has the power of death, Hebrews says. So somehow God is allotted to these angels' authorities. Now everyone's under God, and, of course, God is the one who has all control. But he allows things to happen. He, he gives permission. And they're under their authority. And I, I imagine the angels go before God and say, this one's in my domain. So I have the right to do something with this one. And God says, okay, it's true. You have the authority to do that. That person has sinned. That person has broken my law. That person's under the sentence of death. I'll let you execute that. the prince of the power of the air and his principality. Um, that should bother us. I mean, just because we don't know much about it. But it, we should also... Do we believe it? Are, are we so earthly-minded that we don't think about the, princi the principalities that are in heaven? You can see Paul, throughout his epistles, bring it up multiple times. We're going to see it again a couple times in Ephesians already because we're looking in the heavenlies, so it's going to come up. We're going to see it a few more times in Ephesians. Paul thought about these things.
Correct. Yeah. Correct. I, yeah. Correct. True. And when I said bother, I meant we should think about it and be concerned with these things. That's what I meant. I used the wrong word. Uh, we, should, we should be aware of these things and thinking about these things also. So here we say, it says that he wrought it, this power in Christ. Or no, excuse me. It's according to the power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Where was Jesus? And what's death? Satan's dominion. That's right. Wait a second. Jesus was dead. From the dead. There's a Greek word, ek, and the idea is out from among the dead. There's a real place. Jesus was resurrected out of. Out of that domain. Do you remember in Romans chapter 6, there's a wonderful verse. I believe it's verse 9. And it says... Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Death has no more dominion. But that means at one time death did have dominion. If it no more has dominion, it had dominion over him. And as we looked at in redemption, death has dominion because of sin. And sin has dominion because of law. Jesus was born under the law. Jesus was numbered with the transgressors. And when he put the sins of, of ours, uh, when he took and bore our sins, he subjected himself to death and Satan. Remember the, in 1 Corinthians, it says, if they, the princes of this world had known, they wouldn't have killed the Lord of glory, but they had that power over him. This is the, this is the power of darkness, or this is the time. This is your hour, Jesus said. You know, do your worst. I'm going to enter your domain on behalf of, of, of people. Isn't that beautiful? These people are totally enslaved and in bondage and under the authority of these principalities and these wicked beings that rebelled against God. And Jesus says, I'm going to, I'm going to for them, subject myself. You, here's your hour. Do your worst. Do your worst. And believe me, they did. He experienced death in everything that death means. James Denny in his book, The Death of Christ, said that Jesus was really the man who, who, who experienced death really for the first time or the, the fullness of death for the first time. Because even we, we, when we die, obviously on the other side we understand, but when we die, we, so, we still don't even fully grasp what's going on. We're so ignorant of sin and death and the law and what, what's going on. But Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, wasn't ignorant. He knew exactly what sin was, exactly what death was, exactly what the principalities were all about. I think that's why he trembled in the garden. Because he knew exactly what death was. People die and they die for their sins and, and they die in their sins and they but they don't really know what's really happening. But Jesus is aware of the broken relationship with the Father, of the wrath of God, of the anger of God, of these evil things. He was going into that wicked domain for us. Death has no more dominion over him, however, because he rose. He rose Christ from the dead, out from among that domain, okay? Now we're painting the picture together. He rose Christ from the dead, out from their domain. Why? 
because of the cross, like we said in the Easter story, because the shedding of Christ's blood, of the sinless Savior, the offering of sin, put away sin. And then Peter says on one of his sermons in Acts, it was impossible for death to hold him. It was impossible for death to hold him because his sacrifice had put it away. Death couldn't hold him. By the way, if it was impossible for death to hold the sinless Savior, it was also impossible for him to die, period, except that he took upon himself our, himself our sins. So what was impossible became possible by a miraculous transaction in heaven. Jesus died for our sins. He was laden and burdened with our sins, but he put him away by his death, and then death could not hold him. He rose. Because he died, shed his blood, he rose from the dead out from among that wicked domain. And now God set him at his own right hand. Now he is the ultimate authority on things. He is far above these principalities and powers. I like how he says far above. He didn't just say he's above these things now. He's way above. Like the power that works through the resurrection of Christ is way above the power of these, other de- of these other demonic angels and the law and of sin and of death and of Satan. He's way above that. A way above principalities. Every name has to bow to his name. So when a name is evoked or a dominion is evoked or a, a authority is evoked and saying, ah, this one's mine, the name of Jesus has veto power. No, it's not. Because you're under Christ's feet. You're below. Your dominion has no more dominion over him and those who are his. Paul's wanting us to see this, saying that you might see. Look, I want to show you something amazing. Look at Jesus, the resurrected slain lamb of God, way above all these other authorities and laws and rules and things that could put you into bondage. There's a, there's a veto power way above that. There's Jesus and his authority is at the throne of God, and everything is under his feet. It's like, if, ladies, it's like you're married, if, if you're Christ, because Paul's wanting the Christians to see this, that power is working toward you. Isn't that awesome? The might of his authority is working towards you, and nothing that works against you can overpower his authority and where he is. If he's your head, if he's your Lord, if he's your Savior, I want you to see, Paul's saying, look at the power that's working towards you. It's like you'd be married to the supreme dictator of the world, if you're a woman. It's like your husband is the supreme dictator of the world. Everyone's under him. Everyone has to bow to him. Everyone has to do his will. The difference is, though, is that this dictator is a good, righteous dictator, and every decree is righteous. He can righteously say no. This is mine because he shed his blood. It's not like God's just strong-arming the angels. I'm stronger than you. The blood of Jesus actually gives the authority and the power to righteously save us and to righteously keep us. Isn't, that, isn't this amazing? This is absolutely amazing. And I want to share one more thing with you here, that this is uh, the original prophecy in Genesis 3.15. He will crush the serpent's head. It says here he put it under his feet. The serpent's authority that the serpent had over the people because of their sin. Okay? Because they sinned, Adam, you think Satan was stupid? Why did he want Adam and Eve to sin? Just so they'd go to hell? No, so that he could have authority and dominion over, over them. 
And so now Satan played his little game and got his little trick, and, and the world is still currently at this point under his domain, it says, but not when Jesus comes back. Of course, because it's rightfully Jesus's, but when he's going to enforce that, and he's enforcing it in individual lives. But that's the original prophecy. Yeah, Jesus will crush his head or his authority. Satan's impotent now because everyone's under Jesus' feet. Isn't this amazing? Is this not wonderful? Why is Paul wanting us to see this? Do you think, is, oh, what's the big deal? <laughs> is this a big deal? <laughs> this is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Look into the heavenlies and see your Lord, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Paul wants you to see the power that works toward every believer. Every believer, there's a power that is working according to what God did in Christ Jesus when he rose him from the dead and set him up above all principalities, all powers, all dominions, all mights, every name that is named in this age or in the age that is to come. He's put everything under his feet and he's made him to be the head over the church. Actually, it says he gave him, that's a gift. He gave him to the church to be the head or he gave him to the believers. God is gathering all things under Christ's authority. Every knee will bow one day. There's that song, um, uh, for those who gladly bow now, right? Bow to Jesus. He is the supreme authority in the universe, in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth. Wow. That's amazing. That just blows me away completely. And in the last verse, which is his body, the church, the organic union to Jesus means what's true for him is true for us as well. We're going to see now something amazing in the next chapter. He's going to say that when God raised Jesus from the dead, out from that domain and put him up above, above far above all those things, you also were risen from that place and set above. That's amazing. I mean, it just is absolutely amazing but it's part of the power that's working toward us because of this resurrection. So Easter, more than just resurrection, but also exaltation, which the resurrection, of course, brought because he died for our sins, put death down, conquered, triumphed over them at the cross, spoiled them at the cross, spoiled their power, can you imagine the, the blow on that day? All their authority, they were ruling. They were totally ruling. And all their authority is broken at the cross. All of their authority is no more. They realize that they, they cannot evoke, they cannot condemn. That's what Paul gets at Romans 8. Who can condemn now? It's Christ that's died. No, rather, who's risen and now seats at, sits at the right hand of God making intercession for us. Who can condemn? That was Satan's big power. That was his big stick. It's gone. Mm. Let me just read in the Amplified Bible, um, verse 23. Because of the confusion of the, the original Greek here, there's difference, but there's differing interpretations of this. But in the Amplified, it says, which is his body... He's the head now. He's the authority. He's the 
it's more than just a king, though. It's also like a husband. It's more than that. It's even an organic unity. There's all these different descriptions. But the idea is that we're actually one with Jesus. He is our king in our head. But there's a oneness about it as well. And it says in the Amplified, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. For in that body lives the full measure of him who makes everything complete and who fills everything everywhere with himself. So the body is full of his measure, which is a more accurate understanding in the Greek. It's his body, and because he's the head, the body is full of him and who he is and what he's done. Right. And Paul wants us to see it. He's praying, look! Look and see. Set your mind on things above. Satan's always saying things in your ear. You're still mine. I still have authority over you. You're still condemned. You're still going to die. You're still going to go to hell. I can still tell you what to do. You can't live by grace. You're under law. Just remind him that he's been crushed under Jesus' feet at the cross. So, another reason to bless the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Another reason to praise him forever for what he's done. Lord, we thank you so much for this Easter day when we can remember that you were raised from the dead, the dominion of law, sin, and death, and Satan. And you did that for us as our substitute. And you were raised from that awful dominion because of your blood and your power, Lord, and your authority, because you spoiled every wicked principality that day 2,000 years ago. And we pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see into the heavenlies and to have wisdom and revelation in the acknowledging of you that we might know your power that works toward us mightily according to that which you've done in Christ Jesus. God, it's, it's so amazing and life-giving and life-changing and God-glorifying. And Lord, we want to see your power the power of your resurrection enforced in our lives. We want you to silence the enemy, Lord, by faith in your blood. And we want to overcome him by your blood. So God, I ask that you would help us to see the exceeding, surpassing greatness of your power uh, this day and always, Lord. Help us to see and understand that we might just be full of praise and thanksgiving to you, who's done all these things and who's done them for the praise of his glory and the demonstration of his wisdom. So God, we praise you and glorify you and celebrate your resurrection today and your exaltation and what you do now in heaven interceding for us. In Jesus' name, amen.